so much for being here today. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here, and I wanted to add my welcome to Aaron's and say thanks for being with us. Hopefully, as you came through one of the doors, you got a little welcome card. Um, after the service is over, if you could take that back to the lobby, there are some books on the wall over there. We would love to gift you a book in exchange for your welcome cards. We know you and who you are and how we can serve you. That would be great. We'd love to do that. Um, we are going through, as a church, the New City Catechism. And this past week's question was a little shorter than the previous week's, so it might be a little easier to, to recite. So does anybody want to recite question 13? Do you want to recite question 13? Go for it. Stand up and belt it out. That was perfect. Great job. Excellent. Well done. Thank you very much. This is not just so we can be impressed with mostly the kids, by the way, who stand up. Um, adults, hint. Uh, <laughs> this is so that we can learn and have God's word be deep inside of us. It's good for us to know that since the law, no mere human, that's an important word, no mere human, because there is a human who is also the son of God, who has been able to perfectly keep God's law consistently never broke it in thought or word and in deed. And that's what our hope is this morning. And that's what we hope in for this day, which is normally called Palm Sunday. So um, before we transition to our scripture for today, wanna, let's go through the next question in our New City Catechism. It's question 14. I think we have it up there for us. The question is, did God create us unable to keep his law? Now let's recite it together. No. But because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation is fallen. We are all born in sin and guilt, corrupt in our nature and unable to keep God's law. Thank God it doesn't stop there. Thank God that, that we, it's good news to know actually that we're unable to keep God's law, but, but now Jesus came to keep God's law perfectly in every way for us. Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, we are continuing in our series uh, in Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. And today we'll be looking really at, at verses 1 through 10. And we're going to come back to these verses a couple more times, by the way. So we'll be coming back to it as we look at Good Friday, which, by the way, in your bulletins, it says Friday is the 9th. No, we know that. Friday is the 7th, and Sunday is the 9th. But we'd love to have you here still because I, I think you can probably tell that Good Friday is on a Friday. And, and, and Resurrection Sunday is on Sunday. So we would love to have you here for both of those things. Good Friday service. We will be here celebrating the fact that Jesus came to die for us, to die for our sins, to take all of the wrath of God that we deserve. And that's, that's what verse 10 has. It says, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then we'll look at the fact in, in, next Sunday that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that's what our hope is as well. Well, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. This is God's holy inspired word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, that's also and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, 
and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we did not say anything. For they themselves report to us concerning the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would hear these words and that we would take them to heart for ourselves. Because, God, we know that you wrote these words not just to the church in Thessalonica, but you wrote these words for us to hear and benefit from. So, God, I pray that you would awaken our hearts and minds, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us see you. Lord, I pray that, first and foremost, would you encourage us through your word? Would you bring your encouragement, encouragement that comes as a gift from you? Would you bring hope in the fact that we have the Holy Spirit and that, Jesus, we wait for you? And God, I pray that we would respond to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is the day that the world around, the Christian world, celebrates Palm Sunday. It's, it's the day when they laid palm leaves before Jesus. After Jesus had directed his disciples in Matthew 21, we're going to read that for just a second here. Matthew 21, 5, it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were rightly praising that day Jesus as the son of David, that he came in the name of the Lord, that he and truly is blessed. But I don't think they rightly understood who Jesus was. They, they got the words right. But I don't think they rightly understood who he was because just in the next two verses, it tells us in Matthew 21.10, it says, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They had the right profession, but that right profession had not brought about change. That right profession had actually not brought about an understanding of who God truly is. And, and, and they weren't responding to him rightly. And no matter where you fall, thinking, hey, is this the exact same crowd that later Matthew tells us the crowd's called out to crucify him or not? Or is this a different crowd? That, that doesn't matter. I, I don't think they rightly understood who he was. I don't believe they were Christians in that confession. You see, you can get the words right without actually being made right. You can get the right words without being changed. And so as Paul writes this letter, what we're going to look at from this letter in the opening to the Thessalonians is what does it really mean to be a Christian? And that's an important question for us to answer because you can have the right confession, you can have the right profession, you can say the right words, have the right things in your head. Maybe you were raised in the church, and you know what to say. And you can confess, yes, Jesus, he's the son of David. But has there been any change? Do you know what it means to be a Christian? 
Paul and Silvanus, which is Silas that we see in Acts, in Acts chapter 17, and Timothy, they had come to Thessalonica. They had proclaimed the gospel. They had spent time reasoning in the synagogue, and they, they had spent time in the marketplace, the workplace, so that they saw Paul, they saw Silvanus or Silas, and they saw Timothy working, and they saw their example, and they followed their example, and some people were changed. But the problem is, it stirred up the whole city, and they got kicked out. They had to leave because a big mob was hired, and they came and arrested the Christians in the home where they were staying. And they took them and they made them pay bail. And so the, the brothers there were like, you guys got to get out of here. And so they left. And then they went from there down to Berea. And they went from Berea and they got kicked out of Berea. And so they, after they got kicked out of Berea, Paul goes to Athens. Silas and Timothy stay in Berea. But Paul goes to Athens and he tries to share the gospel there. And that city is full of idolatry. And yet they won't really hear him. He doesn't have much success. And so he goes from there to Corinth. The letter that we went through as a church a little while ago. And he's in Corinth, and, and he's concerned about the church. And so he sends Timothy back to the church. And he sends Timothy to Thessalonica to find out how are they doing? What's going on? Are they really believers there? Or do they just hear the words? Has there been any change in them? And so Paul sent Timothy back. And now Timothy's returned to Paul, and he hears this good report. And that's what he's responding to in the opening part of this letter. Paul is responding to this really great news. You know why? Because he is sure now that they are Christians, they have been changed by God. Because to be a Christian means to be changed by God. That's what it means to be a Christian. If, if you have experienced change in your life since you have placed your faith in Christ, and you are, are experiencing, continually experience change in your life as a result of placing your faith in Christ, that means you are a Christian. And, and, and here's something interesting. He writes to the church in Thessalonians. He says, that they are in God the Father. This is the only time in all of Paul's letters that he writes that the church is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's only really one other author in the whole New Testament. That's actually Jude, the brother of Jesus. And he wrote in Jude 1, he says, to those who are called beloved in God the Father. Now, why is it important for us to see? It's because we are in God is what changes us. Because God has placed us in himself. If you have placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you place in your faith in Jesus for his righteousness to be given to you, and that is your hope. If you've repented, if you've confessed and repented and believed, and you are trying, however badly, to trust in him, then here's the good news. You are in God. This, this, this beginning of the letter, it's meant to be an encouragement to that church. And it's actually meant to be an encouragement for all those who are believers here, too. You're in God. You've been changed by God. You are now in God. Now, if... You know something about what the Bible says. There's no one greater than God. He's the creator of all that exists. There's nothing more powerful than the one who created all things. There's nothing more powerful than the one who speaks and all creation springs into existence. There's nothing and no one who is bigger than God. And so when he says you are in God, that's meant to give us assurance. You are in God. You are kept safe. You are secure. You're in God. Not because of yourself, but you're in God because, he tells us, God's loved us. And you're in God because God's chosen us. To be a Christian means to be changed by God, so you're in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your very identity. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter how faltering your belief, your faith, you're in God. That means he keeps you. No one can snatch you from his hand. 
You are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your identity now. And so as we think of ourselves as Christians, we need to think of ourselves as we're no longer the people we used to be, but now we think of ourselves as we're, we're those who are in God. We're in Jesus Christ. That is our very identity, and that's our security, that's our hope. And so Paul gives thanks to them because they are in God. And he says, we give thanks to you constantly in our prayers. Whenever I pray for you, Paul says, I am giving thanks to you because I know that God has been at work in you. He says, I remember you before God. And he remembers them for three things. He remembers them for faith and love and hope. Faith and love and hope that he mentions in verse 3. He says, I'm remembering you before God. And I'm giving thanks to him. And I'm saying, God, they have faith that results in work. Your work of faith. They have a love that results in labor. They have a, a hope that results in steadfastness. And he was grateful that God had worked in them and the church had survived and thrived. And so he gives thanks to God for them. And he says that's in the middle of much affliction in verse 6. They'd heard the word, they received it in much affliction. And, and so when Paul writes that he's thankful, he means it. This is not just words. He's thankful because although they endure much affliction, their conversion has been real. Now, sometimes you can make a profession of faith, but undergo affliction or persecution and walk away from God. And that reveals that your conversion is not real. You can make a right profession, but unless there is a reception that happens and testing and affliction, it's hard to be certain. But he says, you, you received you receive the word in much affliction. It's, it's their work that arises from their believing, their hard labor that re, re, kind of results from the love that they have for God, the love that God has for them. And the endurance that comes from the hope that you have. That's the source of our work. It's not that, that work brings about faith, that faith actually does result in works, your work of faith. And, and, and love is a labor sometimes, by the way. But the, love, the labor of love is worth it because Christ has loved us. He says, I see your work of love. I see your work. I see your work of faith. I see your labor of love. I see your endurance because of your hope that you have in Christ. All those are evidences of God's grace. And he praises them for it. You know, love can be difficult. But, but as you see that, you know, I'm, 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 I am trying to love other people I want to love other people. I want to love God. I want to love the church because he's loved me. You know, I don't always get loving my wife right. Often I do not. But I want to love her. I want to work hard for her. I want to labor for her because she loves me and because God has loved me. Love's a motivator for labor. It produces labor. That's a sign that somebody's working for God because God's loved them. In church, I was thinking about it. You, you demonstrate this kind of labor of love all the time. You demonstrate works of faith that flow from your faith. You demonstrate endurance despite affliction because of the hope you have in Christ. And that's, that's meant to be an encouragement to you. You've been changed by God, and because you've been changed by God, you know that he loves you and he's chosen you. That's what he says in verse 4. He says, for we know, brothers. Now, now, does Paul have some insight into God's eternal mind? Does he know exactly who he's chosen? No, but he can actually say that with confidence. He says, we know, brothers, because you've been loved by God. He, he has chosen you. He has called you. He's chosen you. He's made you his own. 
you know, right now is March Madness, and thankfully, in my mind, is coming to an end very soon, tomorrow night. Um, I don't like basketball, and I know that's like anathema to probably most of the people in the room. I don't like basketball because I'm, I'm terrible at it. I'm really bad at basketball. I have never liked it because I've never tried to get better because I've always been bad. I'm like, if it's not good at something, I'm not going to try it. And so if somebody knew just how bad I was and we had basketball teams for the church, I can guarantee you I'd be picked last, especially now after this message. You would choose me last, and you should choose me last because you know how bad I am. I can't dunk. I can't, I can't do a layup. I, I can barely hit the basket. All I throw is bricks and air balls. So you'd be silly to choose me. But you know what? God chooses us knowing how bad we are. God chooses us knowing how bad we are. If you love God and you are loved by God, you can be sure God's chosen you. And it's actually good news that he chooses you, not because of anything you've done, good or bad, but he chooses you because of his love. That's his motivation. And here's the other good news. If, if God chose you because of his love, not because of you are lovely, that should give you assurance. If God chose you knowing all the bad things, just how bad of a player you are, and yet he chose you anyway. That should give you consciousness. He's not going to be surprised one day to say, oh my goodness, I did not understand how bad of a player Matt is. He stinks. Let me kick him off the team. No, he, he knew that. He, he's always known that. That is assurance for these believers that they've been born again because God chose them. That they're loved by God. That's the motivation. It's, it's the same kind of reason we see not only did God choose Abram, Abram didn't somehow earn God's favor, but God chose Abram, and Abram responded in faith. But it's the same way that when God speaks to his people in Deuteronomy 7, and he explains to them why he chose them in Deuteronomy 7, 6, and 8, and this is the same kind of Old Testament language that's, that's brought into the New Testament people. We're a part of God's people because God loved us and he's chosen us. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, For you are people holy to God, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people, for his treasure possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you're more in number than any of the people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because, why did he choose you? But it is because the Lord loves you. And it's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. God chose you because he loves you and he's keeping his promises. I love how James Grant puts it. He says, don't miss the glorious truth in this passage. God set his love upon them, not because they're greater than other people, but simply because the Lord loved them and made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God loved them because he chose to love them. This is the root of John's statement. We love God because he first loved us. And that's the basis of our election. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, we are chosen by God because we are loved by him. It's good news. Because God loved the brothers, Paul knows that he's chosen them. The response was evidence of God's choosing of them. They weren't perfect. They were, they, they, were, they were very young believers, probably just a few months old. And yet Paul is overjoyed because he's seeing that they are working in response to faith, that they are laboring to love, that they have hope. They are enduring in their hope. And this is meant to be assurance for the believer. Never, never in the Bible, by the way, is, is God's choosing ever meant to be a doctrine we should communicate to unbelievers. It's the fact that we've loved God, responded to him, been changed by him, that is meant to give us assurance. And that's how Paul is using that here. 
I like the way that D.L. Moody, who's not one who is known for the doctrines of election, he, I love how he put it, and he said, standing before the door of heaven, as you see on the outside of the door, says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And so you decide to go through the door because you want rest. He says, then you turn around, and you look back on the other side of the door, and it says, since before the creation of the world, you are elect, and I've chosen you. That's a wonderful privilege. We know that you're a Christian because you've been chosen by God. We know that you've been chosen by God because you love God and God has brought about change in your life. Now the question is for you, if you are here today, if you're making a mere profession, has there been change in your life? I don't mean that because you earn God's favor, but if there's not been change in your life, there's wonderful hope that you can be changed by God. And all it takes is repenting, believing, placing your faith in him, and then responding to him. You can know that you're loved by God, that you're chosen, that you're a Christian. You didn't just hear the words, you believe in the word of the gospel because of the power of God and it's changing you. You're not fully changed yet, but you're, you're being changed day by day. And, and, and you're convicted, he says, fully, you were fully convicted. Not, not in every way you responded, but you've been fully convicted. Not condemned, but convicted. And then also to be a Christian means you have the spirit of God and that's really good news. You know, recently we've been looking for um, replacement cars and we got a vehicle and we're not sure if it's going to be the one we're going to keep or not. So. But as I was looking for cars, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. I found all these cars that look great. They have great pictures. The outside is immaculate. It's a pretty looking car. The inside, the leather interior is great. It's got a sunroof. It's got all the things. It's got, you know, little screens that come down from places. All the important gadgets and all the important places, a great stereo, it's wonderful, it rides really nice, and then you get to the bottom and it says, but doesn't crank. The engine doesn't work. Well, that's kind of pointless. A, a, a beautiful looking car with all the right accoutrements that's really comfortable, but the engine doesn't work is, is useless. And that would be like a person who's claiming to be a Christian without having the Spirit of God. It'd be useless because there's no power there's nothing to move you forward, but to be a Christian means you have the Spirit of God. And you can know you have the Spirit of God because you're demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit. And one of those fruits of the Spirit that he mentions here is joy. Now, joy, not, not fake smiling. I'm not talking about everything's great. No, he says, you receive the Word of God in much affliction with joy. You receive the Word of God in much affliction with joy. That can only come from the Holy Spirit. It's the same kind of example that we saw when just before Paul and Silas, they came down to Thessalonica. They were in Philippi. And when they were in Philippi, they got beaten and they got thrown into jail. And while they were in jail, they started singing. Who does that? Only those who've been changed by the Spirit of God. Only those who have the Spirit of God. And he says, you receive the Word of God in much affliction with joy. He produced the joy knowing that no matter what happens to you now, no matter what happens to your physical body, no matter how people torment you, no matter what, what circumstances, affliction, persecution you might have here, you can have joy knowing that he's forgiven you. You can have joy knowing that he's given you his righteousness, that you're in God, that he's changed you. You can have joy knowing that, that one day he's going to return. The gospel they received, says, came in the power of the Holy Spirit as well. He says in verse 5, because our, our gospel came not in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. The Holy Spirit brought about conviction. If you have experienced conviction and responded to God, 
then you have received the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who does that. That's what Jesus tells us he'll do in John 16. John 16, 8, it says, And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Not just agreement, but conviction. Now, if you've not yet experienced that conviction, you can pray and ask God to bring you that gift of conviction so you might receive the Holy Spirit, be made alive and respond to him. Verse 6, he says, They received the word of much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and it resulted in them being an example. They welcomed the message of the gospel in spite of the affliction. Joy is a hallmark of the Christian because joy is a hallmark of Christ. You see, Jesus, it says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It wasn't that Jesus was being fake and acting like the cross wasn't going to be hard. No, it required endurance. But he knew there was a joy set before him. Joy despite affliction. Joy in the midst of affliction. Joy of knowing that one day we'll be fully healed, even if others wound us. The Thessalonians, they suffered much affliction, but they received with joy the word. And then, then it, it, and it resulted in something. It resulted in them imitating Paul and Silas and Timothy. And they spread the word. You see, that, that being a Christian, it, it means that we spread the word of God. Being a Christian means you spread the word of God. Now they, they follow the, the apostolic band's example. That they become examples themselves. It says to the whole region around them. Not just in Macedonia and Achaia, but the whole region, the whole area around them. Not just in South Carolina and North Carolina, but the whole region, the whole southeast. This word is spread. It's, it's kind of like, you know, we don't, we've learned a lot about viruses over the last few years. Or at least we've heard a lot about viruses the last few years. And you know that a virus spreads from close and continuing contact with other people who have the virus, right? And if you're truly a Christian, it, it's, it's kind of like that. I'm not saying that, that Christianity is a virus. What I'm saying is that it spreads like that. That if you are really a Christian, then if you're in close and continuing contact with other people, they're going to they're gonna get the fact that you're a Christian. They're going to understand the fact that you're a Christian and it, that you can't help but spread the word of God to them. If it's not happening in your life, then I encourage you to go back to the place of joy in Christ until it becomes an overflow of who you are and pray the Holy Spirit would allow you, enable you to live for him. He says, none of these words sounded forth from you, but, but your faith is, in God has gone forth everywhere. We don't even need to say anything. When we go places, Paul's like, when I came to Corinth, they already knew all about you and the fact that God had changed you, that he made you alive because you used to follow idols and you don't anymore. And that's a crazy change. It's evidence. They didn't need modern media, social media to get the word out everywhere. Their, their faith in God, it went out everywhere. And it, it was, it was gossip like wildfire spreading across the plains of dry grass. It, it ignited the faith of those who heard it. They couldn't help but catch it. Have you heard what's happening in Thessalonica? Have you heard what's happening in Redeeming Grace Church? Have you heard what's happening over there in Five Forks? Have you heard about how people have left their idolatry behind them? Have you heard about how they're carrying out works of faith, labors of love, and steadfastness of hope? Have you heard how they've been changed or something different about them? Because the gospel makes a difference. And the impact is so evident in their lives. Paul and his friends didn't need to say anything. It, that report, it went out from them. It was like standing on top of a mountain when you shout 
and you can hear your voice echo across the valley. It's or when you're, we were hiking a little while ago and we were up at the top of this mountain. All of a sudden we heard thunder and saw lightning across on another mountain. We thought we better get down. And it was like <laughs> rumbling across. He says the word of God went out from you like that. And how cool is that? That, that can actually be our testimony as well. As we pursue him, as we experience the joy of the Holy Spirit, as we carry out works of faith, labors of love, endure in hope despite affliction, receive the word, gossip the gospel, that, that God's word can go out and have a massive effect. Church, your influence here has a massive effect in other places. You know, as we, we have an effect in other cities and other places, we are supporting the Church of Americas and we have an effect there. We're, we're helping support a church in the Dominican Republic. There's an effect there. We're, there. we're having an effect through your ministry, through your witness, through your testimony. There's an effect. There's an effect in your neighborhoods as you're living for him. And he says, they went from serving God to, to serving, the, serving dead idols to serving the true living God. Idols today might not be stone or wood, but they can be anything we turn to for our identity, for safety, for security, well-being or comfort. Christian, what or who do you turn to for your safety, your security, your well-being, your comfort? To be a Christian doesn't mean that we've, we, we perfectly put away all that, but it means that we're consciously turning to God for our identity, for our safety, for our security, for our comfort, for our well-being. And it's an important question. Have you done that? Are you continuing to turn away? It's important because every day we're tempted to look at idols, to, to look to idols. But if you've turned from your idols, it's because you've been changed by God. It's because you've been loved by God and chosen by God. And, and, and let me tell you, when you start living differently because now you are living to serve God and no longer those dead idols, that people will notice. It will have an effect. And, and God's word will spread like a virus. Be a Christian means you've been changed by God. It means that you've received the Spirit of God. It means you spread the Word of God, and it means you await the Son of God. You await the Son of God. Whenever my dad comes to visit, I don't really know when he's going to get there. I have no idea. He says, you know, I'm, I'm coming on Sunday. I'm like, mm, could be Sunday morning, could be Sunday afternoon, could be late afternoon. I'm not exactly sure. I just know that he's coming. And so we get ready. I generally know, but not at exact time. And so we get ready. We're actively looking for him. We're actively, eagerly awaiting his arrival. We're expecting. We're getting ready the whole time. We don't just like, hey, we thought he was coming at 9, so we get ready until 9, then we kind of take it easy. Like, hey, he's still not here. Let's continue to get things ready. Because I have a big house, and we have lots of kids, and sometimes getting ready means stuffing things into a closet. Other times you're like, hey, I've got more time. Maybe I should get things out of the closet and put them away right, you know? Um, <laughs> It's not a passive waiting, it's an active waiting, a kind of waiting that gets ready. It's, it's a sign that we're believers. Are, are we actively waiting? Are we hoping? Are we looking forward to? Are we longing for the arrival of Jesus? I don't know about you, but, but I'm, I'm waiting. I can't wait. It doesn't mean that we're going to be inactive. It means this kind of waiting says, because I can't wait till he gets here, I want to get ready. I want to get rid of all those things that, that hinder me, that so easily entangle me and I'll want to run with endurance the race that's set before me. Let's set aside all those things that so easily bog me down. We wait for his son from heaven. 
It's kind of waiting he gets busy and prepares. It's kind of waiting that we don't know the time, but we do know he's coming. Waiting that's anticipating, is eagerly expectant. Do you have that kind of waiting? Knowing his son's coming from heaven, that same son that is Jesus, who God raised up from the dead, who delivers us from the wrath to come, we eagerly await this Jesus, knowing that we no longer will receive wrath. We're going to receive commendation. We're going to receive all of his completed righteousness. We're going to receive joy unending. I, that, I can't wait. This waiting and spreading the word of God so that others are ready for his arrival too is the kind of waiting we're to do. The word of God spread because of their example of how they were, had hope with endurance. They were enduring in their hope. They're waiting for, for Jesus. Church, I want to encourage you. God has enabled you to have an effect. The gospel has ignited you. There, the word has gone forth. I'm grateful for your ministry in this church. Grateful for each of you and your example So how, how do we continue to apply this message? There's not a command here that says, do this in these verses. But you see, the, the good news of Jesus Christ, it has produced a change. And it's rewritten their stories. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's produced a change in you. You've been given the Holy Spirit. God's chosen you. He's called you. You're spreading his word. He's got a story for us. And let's continue to turn away from idolatry. Let's not run after false things. God has a better future for us than those useless things that we used to once follow after. He wants us to repent, to trust in him. Because you were made for something better. You were made for him. You were made to be with him. You were made for a story that's better than just about you. You were made for, to be a part of his church, his people. You were made to love one another like he's loved us. And you're made to walk that out so that it, that is an example to others. And let me tell you, um, being a part of a small group in the church here, it actually makes a difference because that is hard sometimes. It takes effort. Sometimes it's tiring to go to a small group. Sometimes you haven't eaten dinner and you go. Sometimes you feel like I just had a long day, I just want to rest. And so it takes, it's a labor of love because you want to love other people. But you know what that is? That's an example that people are like, whoa, what are, you, what are you doing going, people at your work are like, what are you doing going to church? Aren't you tired? On a Wednesday night, aren't you tired? Like, yeah. But Jesus loves me, so I want to love other people. It produces a labor of love. Think about what God might do as we live like this, as we continue to live like this and grow in living like this, that, that how God's word might spread forth. I can only imagine the impact and effect. That's, that's one of the vision statements that we have for the church is that, that everyone in the upstate in some way in every neighborhood that we're in will be affected by the good news of the gospel as it spreads forth from this church from each and every one of you. The kind of place where God's word thunders forth, where kind of church, the same gospel that the Thessalonians had, the same spirit that, that they had, the same God that they have. And can you imagine the impact we, we might have as we continue to be changed by God, as we have the joy of the spirit, as we spread the word of God, as you eagerly wait the son of God.
you know, we already are this kind of church, but I want to grow as this kind of church. Why? So everybody might know his name, that other people might be changed by him. So when we today, let's live now knowing he's coming, let's sound forth the word. And then when we say the same words on Palm Sunday, when we say Hosanna to the son of David, may it mean something to us. May it be our confession because we've been changed by God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that has sounded forth. God, thank you that you have lovingly pursued us, that you have graciously called us. Thank you, Lord, that you draw us to yourself. God, I pray for anyone here who is unsure. Lord, would you just enable them to respond to you, to place faith in you, to cry out to you, to repent and turn from idols, to turn to you, the living God. And Lord, would you give joy by your Holy Spirit? Would you produce change, we we pray. God, for all of us, would you give us increasing joy knowing that you've called us, knowing that you love us, knowing that you've chosen us, knowing that we have your spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. God, would you enable us to have works of faith, labors of love, endure and hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.